everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum usually we're the show that covers horror movie franchises and we cover them one movie in one episode at a time but this week we're doing something a little bit different we're preparing for our next deep dive into the saw franchise and kind of gathering our notes and our resources but i kind of wanted to do something a little different Uh, i mentioned this when we did our uh, Jaws the Revenge episode, how there were a pair of movies that were out that were sweeping the country and that I really wanted the opportunity to talk about. And then I came across uh, my guest today, her article on her website, uh, Strong Female Antagonist. And I'm like, I need to reach out and we need to speak to one another about this movie. And I was really happy we did so. You know her as one of the co-hosts of The Losers Club, the long-running Stephen King podcast. She's also started, along with our co-host Rachel, Girls on the Boys, a podcast dedicated to breaking down Amazon's The Boys. And also you may remember her as one of the co-hosts of Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. Let's welcome back to the show for the first time in a while, I think. It's been a bit. Jen Adams. It has been a while. Yes. Hello. I'm so happy to be back. And I'm so excited to be talking about well, these Well, why don't we talk then. about Yay. the two movies? Why don't you mention them? Because people must be like, oh, the Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles right now. And Oh, yeah, and, of course. <laughs> well, and you mentioned the next franchise you're going to cover is... Oh, boy. I had to make my had to get that in. I did. I mean, I wouldn't be true mm-hmm. to myself if I wasn't making chainsaw noises. Well, we may be um, recruiting but... you in the future <laughs> to just make that noise for something that I can't talk about yet. But we'll just oh, have to yeah. hire well, you I to mean... just make that noise for the credits. Special guest Foley noise artist. Yes. Jen, what are we talking about um, today? We are talking about Barbenheimer. We're going to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer the best double feature yes. I have seen in a long now, time. So exciting. I will let listeners know because this is, as people know, it's a podcasting. Uh, we're both dressed. We're not reenacting the Florence Pugh <laughs> and Kelly <laughs> Murphy yes. scene. So don't get your minds out of the gutter, <laughs> listeners. Okay? Yeah. My God. What's wrong with you, so, listeners? How, how dare, dare you? you? <laughs> this is a family is podcast. Is it? Yeah. Is it now? Um, <laughs> So we're going to keep it loose and we're going to, well, we're going to keep it loose with the discussion. We're not going to cover all the aspects of this movie because I think, honestly, if we were to cover both films with the level of detail we normally do, it would be a 12 hour Mm -hmm. show. And uh, as much as I would love to do that, uh, (laughs) Jen has a family at home and has to take care of them. (laughs) So I guess we'll start with like what we're going to start with Barbie. I think I think it's a way to start. Um, let's start let's start on a high note. And I guess before we kind of dive into our, our like kind of discussion points here, what were your initial thoughts on this movie? 
I loved it. My first thoughts as I was sitting in the theater, I was like, Greta Gerwig has been reading my diary because it is a lot of the stuff that I say a lot. It is very patriarchy focused. It is very like, it's hard to be a woman. Masculinity hurts men too. It's a lot of the stuff that I say and think a lot. And it was just packaged in the most fun movie I think I've seen in a really long time. I laughed out loud. I, my, I've never really had a huge crush on Ryan Gosling, but boy, I do mm-hmm. now. I thought he was hilarious. It was just so much fun. It was like, I don't know. The last time I think I watched a movie where I felt like in the very center of the bullseye for the target audience was Assassination Nation. So it had that, that was kind of the feeling I left with is like, I've got to write about this. I've got to talk about this movie. I love yeah. it. What was the theatrical experience like for you did you go opening weekend was it something you caught it like with press um i yeah i went opening weekend i went i hope nobody's listening i took the day off on friday and um i went at 8 45 was my show in the time in the in the morning yes and I went and there was a mom and her daughter and there were two kids, two like college age girls in there and we were just sitting and we were sitting and we were sitting and nothing was happening. And then we heard the credits start and the screen was still dark. And so we heard one trailer, we heard the next trailer, didn't see anything. We all like went out and tried to find somebody and uh, nothing happened. So I just walked out and went into the nine o'clock IMAX show. So, you, so what you didn't do was pull it. a sound of freedom and say this is a conspiracy that people don't want us to see <laughs> this movie because you're a normal person that is yes exactly yes. right yeah i did not so, um although now that i'm thinking yes. about it what are they trying to hide from us <laughs> yeah i had exactly. a, a similar experience i caught like a early matinee of it uh the day it came out it was an absolutely packed theater like to the gills really? i I did a triple feature. I added cobweb to the bill. Oh. And I had to drive about 30 minutes out of the way to uh, Foxborough Stadium, Patriot Place, to see all three movies that I was going to see in one place. And I did not know, and I would not have done this, there was like a, a massive, like I think Luke Combs, like some massive country music concert going on that day. In Foxborough uh Stadium, there's one road going in and one road going out, and they're not necessarily right off the highway. So it was Mm -hmm. touch and go as to whether or not I was going to get there. And, you know, Massachusetts is not really a hotbed of the country music scene. So there were some Mm -hmm. interesting looks that were as you're walking in. (laughs) So, but the theater was packed and... There was a group of like 12 year old girls and their mom and they were super excited and they started to kind of chatter when the movie started. And usually I'm like, hey, stop talking. But then I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the 48 year old man who's here by himself yelling at a group of 12 year old girls to keep it down during Barbie of all movies. That would have been a (laughs) bad look. So, but I was stunned uh, yeah. with how much I really enjoyed it. And I okay. I definitely thought of you when I was watching this. I'm like, oh my God. Like, it's like really? they opened up Jen's head and just right? scooped out the thoughts. <laughs> but I also thought like the, 
and I when I came out, my initial thought was like I've seen a movie about existential dread and mortality, and it's Barbie, and I was stunned by right. that and this idea mm-hmm. of like searching for like purpose and identity. And I've already like told clients, I'm like, when this comes out on digital or Blu-ray, like expect this to be part of your homework. Like you're going to be watching this movie and kind of like, we'll be talking about like trying to find an identity or find a purpose. Cause I thought it did an amazing job of that. So kudos to Greta Gerwig and her partner, Noah Baumbach for writing this into, into it. Absolutely. Yeah, I was really like, and I know, you know, I know people have some quibbles with some elements of it. And I admit there are some parts in it that are a little Mm -hmm. silly. I don't really care too much about that. I can kind of let that go. And I think that the whole Barbie becoming real and Ruth. Oh, spoilers. It's spoiler. Yeah. I mean, it it feels like everybody (laughs) is seen. Yeah, this movie. Right, exactly. And I mean, also, like, what are we going to do? We're going to spoil Barbie. Like, she's a doll. Um, But, like, the whole Ruth Handler thing coming in, there's there's some logical Mm -hmm. stuff there that, like, if I wanted to pick it apart, I could go really deep down a rabbit hole. But I don't care. Because what I love about that ending is another thing that I think is part of feminism or part of patriarchy and it's feeling human and it's Mm -hmm. like feeling allowed to be real and I think when we have such limited ideas of who we are and who we are supposed to be we don't feel real and feeling real like I actually wrote that in my journal at the beginning of the year as one of my goals is to like to become Mm -hmm. real or to feel real is it's just kind of like accepting humanity and accepting that humanity is going to have pain and it's going to include flaws and it's not going to be perfect but it is real and that is better than the facade you know and so I loved seeing seeing that element of it too because I think a lot of girls well just a lot of us I think we grow up thinking about like a very stylized image of who we're supposed to be and that's not real let's start there maybe because i think that dovetails nicely into and i didn't have this in my notes so i'll try to do it off the cusp but you also mentioned like the speech during it the monologue during it america Mm -hmm. ferrara's monologue at one point of like how difficult it can be to be a woman in modern society. Mm -hmm. And I know Greta Gerwig has said like, she's put some form of this in like all of her movies so far. And I remember like little women had a part that was similar to this as well. But what about her monologue like really resonated? It's like, I hear what you're saying there and all that idea of, of like being real, the idea that like you have to present yourself a certain way based on whatever role that you've assigned yourself or other people's have assigned you that like, okay, I have to show this sort of face because of this kind of box I'm in. And that can be really limiting. Mm -hmm. But what did kind of hearing that monologue mean to you? Well, two things. One, I think, and you know, I wouldn't be me also if I weren't talking about my own therapy, but um, I think, I have been thinking and talking a lot about who I am in relation to other people and who I pretend to be or who I try to be or how I present myself to other people. And it was in in a meeting I was talking about the topic was things we are good at. And I just started thinking like I 
don't like to talk about things I'm good at because I feel like that is sometimes seen as a threat to other people. Like if I'm saying I'm good at this, am I saying you're not as good? Is that Mm -hmm. the implication? And I think a lot of women and girls, and when I say that, I mean people who identify as girls and women too, um, are, we are taught to be who we are in a way that doesn't threaten men, you know? And that is so limiting because yes, we do have more options now, but it's always couched in this, yeah, but don't rock the boat, you know, or don't, don't be too much, you know, don't like we can be, I'm just going to start quoting everything she said because she's exactly right. It's like, we can be angry, but not shrill or like sad, but not like clingy, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, so it's like, there's no, there isn't a right way because the right way is not real. And the point is they, they, they don't want us to really be human. They still want us to be in this package that they can put below because they can make us subhuman. And when I say they, I mean people who want to support the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. I don't mean men and I don't mean any other particular group. I mean, because we see that with like the movement of like trad wives and trad moms where it's like, yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. Women feed Mm -hmm. the patriarchy too. That there's, and what I always find fascinating with that is like persons that support that get upset when it comes back and blows back on them. Like when they try to express anything outside of that role that they have defined themselves by or that others have defined them by when it comes back to blow back on them they're like well i meant other people not necessarily me like why aren't you letting me express the full person that i want to be and that's kind of what i took from that speech is this or that monologue was what a tightrope that it is and what an exhausting mm-hmm. tightrope that it is because it feels like it's this kind of thing that you can only maneuver and balance for so long before you fall off because it's an impossible thing to maneuver forever because you're never going to get mm-hmm. – I hate to say like get everything right because what we're talking about is expressing who we are as individuals and trying to be our true and authentic selves. And I like what you said there about like, I don't like to talk about my strengths. I don't like to talk about Mm. things that I'm good at. And I find like in my practice that that's very common. Like I'm someone Mm -hmm. that in my, in my practice, I'm like, I'm a strength-based therapist. I'm like, let's tap into something that you're really, really good at and find out how you can manipulate that to these in these areas where you're not so good and trying to get people to talk mm. about what they're really good at especially women sometimes is very very difficult well i mean how many times do we talk about that on psychoanalysis a lot. you know that me and laura we were like we want some reviews but just please mm-hmm. it makes me, you know and we diminish ourselves and i think it's it's something that we are trained to do mm-hmm. not officially but that is it's it's kind of the yeah. air we breathe, you know. And it, it, that will be it'll be interesting to look at the opposite of that when we talk about our next movie. When we talk yeah. about how this, and you know, we're doing Oppenheimer as well, and I, we are going to spoil Oppenheimer. Yes, the bomb goes oh, off. Yes. Sorry, folks. <laughs> um, I had a question, and one of the things that struck me the more I thought about this movie was. 
at the beginning of this movie, when they're in Barbie land and everybody is mm-hmm. singing and having a good time and Ken's job is beach and all that. Which I love. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, is that another, is Barbie land as it's presented at the beginning of Barbie, is that another form of patriarchy? Is it just, because when I, when I look at it, yes, it's run all by women. Like they have the nine Supreme Court justices that are all women. There's ladies night every night. The men, the Kens only exist to be kind of like an accessory for all the Barbies. And mm-hmm. unless they are getting attention they're kind of an afterthought, like they're not even thought of. And that to me just seemed like the patriarchy, but the genders are swapped. That's really all that seemed like to me because you still had a group of people that had no power and no agency and were completely defined by what the dominant group assigned to them, really. Is that really just yeah. another form of patriarchy? Um, I think so. I, let me tell you when I knew that the movie had me and that this was going to be a good movie is in, when it said, Ken only has a good day when Barbie looks mm-hmm. at him. I was like, there it is. That's it. Um, I think so. And I mean, I think it would be easy to call that a matriarchy because it is run by women, but it is the same. It's just a gender swapped patriarchy, you know? And I one of the things I really love about the movie is that she shows that that's not good either, you know, and that that's not what feminists want. Feminists do not want control. I do not want to rule the world. I don't want power. Now, I will say it was very gratifying to see men experience what women have been trying to explain to them for, I don't know, millennia, my entire life. Like that felt really good in the moment to watch. But I think the end of the movie makes a very good point that that is a prison too, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't make Barbie feel better. It doesn't make Ken feel better. Like that's not what solves the problem. Um, But I think a lot of times men can't see it, you know? And so sometimes it takes just flipping it all Mm -hmm. on its head for it to really, to, to, for them to say, oh, oh, is that how you feel? Is that what you've been telling us? Um, one thing it is really interesting is when I'm talking, when I was talking about like not wanting to talk about things I'm good at, I think I would feel pretty okay talking about things I'm good at in Barbie land, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the good side of that seems to be like, everybody just gets to be what they want. Mm-hmm. They get to have fun. They get to explore they get to like celebrate each other there's no like cattiness except with the men the men are the ones that are at each other's throats and it's just so interesting to see it on the other shoe and because I think that's a lot of times my one of my teacher friends says you learn what something is by learning what it's not Mm -hmm. you know and so I think by flipping it it really puts it very clearly into perspective yeah and I wonder if that that is what's made some person's really uncomfortable like like anything there's always going to be a backlash and yep. <laughs> you have what i have found like the most insecure people are the ones that because what they do is like it's really they watch that movie and it's holding a mirror up 
to themselves and they're seeing all their insecurities. And I don't know who did this, but someone took the poster of Barbie and they printed out a bunch of the one star like letterbox reviews of it like mm. the patriarchy will kill us all and it's just like so it looks like an advert for the movie and it just all they've done is it always makes the movie look a hundred times cooler than it is <laughs> it's like yeah. oh i want to like see this sign... even more now exactly it's like the sign that like witches will teach you about the occult about psychotherapy and about all of these great things like, that yes. sounds awesome. Yes, we yeah. will. Exactly. Like, yeah. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, like you're saying, don't threaten me with a good time here, please. Exactly. So right. My counter yeah. to, you know, I think I love movies because I think that they can be an engine. Like an, it's going to be an empathy engine that with a, a great yes. art and great movies, it makes me want to delve into other pe- person's experiences even more. It makes me want to look at, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like a cisgendered white heterosexual guy. So like not much touches me, you know what I mean? Like I get to <laughs> kind of blithely go through life some days. Not that I don't struggle at all, but I have it easier than most. Um, and watching this movie and like hearing kind of characters put their own struggles into perspective. It makes me, oh, it makes me understand more where they're coming from. And then the next question is, well, what can I do to change or alleviate that? Like, how do I become a better person and alleviate that struggle a little bit where I think there's a group of people that just don't have any interest in that because they completely lack empathy or it's because they're in power because for whatever reason, they have a large following that they've amassed somehow by being very spiteful and vitriolic when you have power, it can be a very difficult thing to let go of. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, not just in like these kind of macro ways, but even in micro ways, think about times as a parent where if you've ever used the phrase, because I'm your mom, I'm your dad, that's what I, I said. So like how mm-hmm. it's like you're, you're exerting power over somebody that way mm-hmm. rather than, than listening. You know, sometimes you have to do that because your kid will run into the street and you can't right. have a conversation, but just it can be very hard to let go of power when you have it. Mm-hmm. How would you counter the argument to somebody that like this movie is like anti-man? Like if someone were to say like, I'm not going to watch that claptrap like that movie hates men. <laughs> well, I have to say I read that question in the outline and oh, the expletives that came mm-hmm. into my head. And I feel like I'd tell him to fuck right up. Um you got Southern be... right there. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. sure did. Big bless their hearts. Um, yeah, I, I think some people are never going to hear that message. Um, and I think I have to live with that, you know, and it's not going to be until they want to um, believe that they are not the victims that they can see that they are not the victims here. But I think one of the things I love about this movie so much, one of the lines that really got me is when Ken is really upset at the end and he says, you know, once I found out the patriarchy wasn't about horses, I lost interest, which is hilarious. But then he says, you know, it's really hard to be in charge all the Mm -hmm. time. And I was like, yeah, it really is. And not everybody wants to be in charge. Not everybody wants to run things. You know, and I think men and little boys are raised to think that they have to be in control and that they have to 
be in charge all the time. And I think just for Ken to kind of release himself of that expectation and to see how much relief he got out of that, I think that is kind of the key for me. And I would say, you know, you don't have to be the most successful. You don't have to be the biggest person. You don't have to be the Will Ferrell in that board meeting. It's okay if you are, you know, I don't know if you just want to go play with horses Mm -hmm. or if you want to just, if your job just wants to be beach, that's fine. Or like, I don't know. I think a lot of little boys grow up thinking I have to be the doctor, not the nurse, or I can't be an elementary school teacher. I have to be the principal or I'm going to be a teacher right now, but I'm getting to be the principal. And I think that that is what the gift of this movie for boys and men is, is showing them that, patriarchy is a prison Mm -hmm. and masculinity is a prison for men too and you know power is not all it's cracked up to be you know i don't want to be in charge all the time yeah it's fucking tired yeah and you you see his confidence shat like when he first learns about the patriarchy and like i think the scene at the hospital is a telling one it's like let me give me a stethoscope and a clipboard and let me talk to a doctor. And, and the woman's like, well, I am the doctor. And no, you can't mm-hmm. do that. And as he... Just one little appendectomy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to quote this whole movie. That's okay. It's brilliant. <laughs> as he keeps going from job to job and realizes that, like, he doesn't have any qualifications. He really doesn't have anything that he's excelled at or that he's qualified to do how he gets like so deflated so quickly. And he just like, Mm -hmm. and that's when he starts to lash out. And I think that's something that we often see in society that when you feel like Mm -hmm. you don't have any options, when you feel like you might have a little bit, but somebody has more than you do that you want to lash out and you want to take it or more often than not, you want to take it what someone from underneath you has like, Right. Like, yeah. And it's, it's all about like, where does your power come mm -hmm. from? You know, like, is your power coming from within? Are you building power in connection with other people? Or are you trying to take power away? Are you just building a wall, but not sideways? Oh my God. (laughs) Just like, there are so many little moments Mm -hmm. where I laughed out loud in this fucking movie. And that was one of them. Um, But yeah, and I think what Ken sees is he can't just demand Mm -hmm. power. You do have to build it. And I think what a lot of the patriarchy is, is about stealing tiny amounts of power from other people and just building on that. Um, And Ken, when Ken realizes he has not been amassing all of this power all this time and being a man gets him very, very far, but it doesn't get him all the way Mm -hmm. there that's when he starts trying to take the power from Barbie. And I think what Barbie says is like, we can, we can find the power within ourselves to be who we want to be. And we can, if we can accept who each other actually wants to be and the, the version of ourselves that makes us happy, there's power in that. And then when there are two of us that are feeling powerful together, like that grows and it grows and it grows and that's what we want. And that's what I would call a matriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that what you see at the end of this movie is definitely that when you don't, I think it was really important that the movie doesn't just go back to the status quo that was there at the beginning of the movie, because then there's no progress that's been made and you still have this unequal sharing of power and this unequal kind of sharing of 
I don't even know what I would what it would really call it, but just this responsibility. I don't know if responsibility is even the right word there because at the beginning of the movies, the Kens kind of have it pretty sweet. Like they don't really have to do anything at all. Like right. all respond. They've been absolved of all sort of like obligation or responsibility except being eye candy. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of this movie, you have something where it is like a lot more equitable towards, except mm-hmm. for Alan. There's always going to be, <laughs> I wasn't ready for Michael Sarah action star. I know. I was very impressed with Michael mm-hmm. Sarah. I think the last time I actually saw him in something was just being super shitty and this is the end. Okay. You know? It's been a bit. Um, yeah, it has been a while. And I'm a, I love Arrested Development, um, but I hadn't seen him anything in a while. But Alan was interesting. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting to see him surround himself with women. I had a paragraph about Alan, and I ended up taking it mm-hmm. out because I just I couldn't quite get the thought I thought it took away from what I was saying about Ken um and I just couldn't quite get my mind wrapped around how I felt about Alan um because there is only one Alan you know and in reality there's only one Ken and there's only one Alan and there's only one Bill and there's only like we're not all Mm -hmm. different versions of one person yeah Ken wasn't a hive mind like it wasn't like all right, the Kens. Exactly. You know, it wasn't like every Ken in like just like Barbie was in a hive mind. Like they had mm-hmm. different Barbies, had different personality traits, had different strengths, had different interests. And even though they worked together and celebrated one another collectively, it wasn't like they all had the collectively the same interests or talents. And I thought that was a important distinction. And I guess yeah. you know, one of the things I was thinking of was like how this movie because to me, it's really surprising how much Greta Gerwig got away with, like how much Mattel was able to kind of give the green light to. Because this is a movie that makes merciless fun at consumerism and capitalism and this idea of like mass consumption. Like it, it reminds the audience and the primary audience for this movie is allegedly like young preteen girls that would play with this doll right mm-hmm. that oh yeah the person who created it is a tax cheat who kind of read they don't mind telling you that over and over yeah. again and that like yes there are things like weird barbies when you play with them too hard which i thought was mm-hmm. great um i do i cut my barbies here and i could never get it back in that pony's head. nope What do you make of like the the kind of contrast of like symbology of Barbie where in one hand she was created to kind of be this icon that would allow young girls to dream big, to see themselves as doctors or policewomen or judges or politicians. This idea that when it was created, the idea was like as a young woman, your life can be limitless. It can be whatever you want it to be imagine it and make it happen contrasting that with the other symbol that barbie is or the negative side that she's this unreal creates this unrealistic standard of femininity where there's like if she were proportioned like this in real life she would not be able to walk straight and right. to the degree that they even make it a point like when barbie is talking about feeling ugly and growing older and not being as attractive you have helen mirren who 
herself is an ageless beauty say by the Mm -hmm. way if you want to make this point casting margot robbie (laughs) not the right way to go here everybody because margot robbie is the closest thing one of the closest things we have to like an a-list movie star under the age of like 35 right now like she's exquisite what do we make of these contrasting symbols well i think i think america ferrera in the movie says kind of what comes to mind is we can't expect one symbol to solve it all Mm -hmm. for us you know and i think of ruth bader ginsburg comes into my mind too like we cannot put the salvation of humanity or the saving of feminism on one figure or one person like it has to be a combination because while barbie did do a lot of great things and it did allow girls to see themselves doing things and to see themselves as being something besides a mom and a housewife you know and while that's a perfectly wonderful thing to be there are other things too and that is great that is fantastic and that has changed lives Mm -hmm. but she's also done a lot of harm and both of those things can be true at the same time like i know that there are probably women and girls whose lives are worse because of the image that barbie has become and this standard and because she is a plastic doll that never changes there is no season of her life where she looks like that in college because she doesn't have kids and she's able to work out mm-hmm. every day and she's maybe doesn't have a healthy diet and then she has kids and her body changes like Barbie's body is never going to change and I think we can't let a piece of plastic be a symbol for humanity I think it can get us a long way down the road but it can't do mm-hmm. everything for us like we have to take the next step and I think they have like I'm not up on all of the different versions of Barbie but I know that the body shapes have started to fluctuate Mm -hmm. a little bit and I think that there is an awareness of how negative that ideal of feminine beauty can be and that that becomes the ideal and I know you know but I just think I don't know we have to be able to like we can't just have a, a astronaut Barbie and think we solved feminism, right. you know, because it's bigger than that. Yeah. You know? I mean, because really what it is, is like we have an astronaut Barbie and now our Q4 earnings are up by 3% because this one exactly. sold through the roof. And I think like, I walked out of the theater going someone from Hasbro wrote this movie because it takes so many shots at Mattel and the way mm-hmm. like, the, you know, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell has, was kind of riffing on what he was in the Lego movie. Like this is him a little bit more grown up and a little bit more in a position of power. And it mm. was kind of like if Buddy the Elf went corporate is the way uh-huh. I would look at it. Because is, yeah. there were things he would say that I would think are hilarious. Like I just want to tickle somebody sometimes. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And I was trying to explain to my daughter like there was a point where like this guy was like the biggest movie star we had in the world for a period of oh, like yeah. five or six years. And like when you come home, like we're going to watch Step Brothers together. Yeah. It's time. I think my brother might still think he's the biggest movie star in the world. It's, 
It'll be interesting to see how Strays does. I'm very yeah, yeah. interested in a foul-mouthed talking dog movie. Like, that seems mm-hmm. like it's right up my alley. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of gone out of style to a certain degree. And now you see him. And he's always great when he pops up. Like, whenever Will Ferrell pops up, I'm like, that's not a bad thing to me. But right. it's not necessarily the same thing anymore. And you can tell that casting him in that role is meant to skewer that type of corporate executive. And even some of the things they would say is like, oh, no, we're still pretty rotten to the core. We just do a much better job of hiding it now. Like, we're much better at which is very true. How important do you think, like, this is a movie that is packed with ideas, and we'll talk about one more before we move on to our, our next movie here in the double feature, but how important is it to package some of these ideas in what is ostensibly a children's movie like one of the things i heard walking out of this movie was like parents say to some of the younger kids like well you probably don't understand a lot of it right now but as you get older it will make more sense despite having these really big ideas it's packaged with some great songs it is a gorgeous movie to look at. It's just like popping with color everywhere, filled with absolutely beautiful people from start to finish and has some of the most unique practical set design that you're going to see. How important is Mm -hmm. it to package these ideas in a movie that is this colorful and bright and funny and lively? It's almost like a Trojan horse. Exactly. Yeah, this is how we get you. Um, Well, and I think about one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Dirty Dancing. And I watched that when I was in like first, second Mm -hmm. grade. And there is an abortion storyline in that movie. And it went totally over my head. I was like, Patrick Swayze is hot. I love these songs. I want to be in the big number at the end. And then I grew up and it started to, I started to think about that. And, but I already loved Penny Mm -hmm. in that movie. And so I was immediately more empathetic to that storyline. And once I started to really figure out what it was about, I had a context that I could pull from it with something that made me feel really good and made me feel happy and was something that I was allowed to watch that I didn't get in trouble for, that wasn't off limits. And I think it's kind of the same with Barbie. The other thing that I was going to say when I said there were two things and I forgot to say the second was I love that the way they turn the Barbies out of the patriarchal mindset that they're in is by saying these things out loud and they speak these words to someone else and that makes a little bit of a difference. And I think, you know, I want my daughter to watch this movie and to live in a world where kids are seeing people say these things out loud and not get made fun of Mm -hmm. or not get laughed at or not get in trouble or not feel like we're wrong or that we're gonna the men are gonna get mad at us you know and I think that even if they don't understand everything even if because I mean you know a lot of girls aren't gonna understand how hard it is to be a woman until they actually are Mm -hmm. one you know or how hard it is to be a grown-up but they have heard America Ferreira say these things and maybe they'll say it and they'll say it and they'll just kind of be kidding with their friends. But then one day it's going to click right. and they're going to understand it in a framework that felt like it was made for them and that made it safe for them to say those kind mm-hmm. of things. And I think that's a big stepping stone, yeah. you know, because I say a lot of this shit and 
you know, I get comments on Twitter or I get like, why do you hate men? And I think, you know, I want little girls and little boys to see this movie mm-hmm. and un- understand that it's okay yeah. to say these things and it's okay to think these things, you know? One of the best reactions I witnessed, like after the movie ended, I went into the bathroom and four dudes walked in and they were like teen, late teens, early 20s, like you would identify them as bros, like not the kind of, okay. Mm. And one of them. Not Hasbro's. Yeah, Hasbro's. <laughs> womp, womp, excellent. I'm going to coin that. I'm going to put that on a dude. Excellent. Um, one of them was Sorry. like, eh, Barbie was pretty mid. And the, I didn't say it was bad. It was just pretty mid, which I guess is kind of like, it's okay. I guess as the kids mm. would say, I'm still figuring this out. <laughs> And his three friends like turned to him and they're like, what are you talking about? That was awesome. Like, that was so good. And they were like, and then one is like, I'm going to dunk your head in the toilet if you say that again, which was okay. So, and then it's like, now we're going to see Oppenheimer, which was great. Um, And it, it was surprising to see is like kind of guys you would not typically think are going to have that sort of reaction to it because you're able to Mm kind of put these ideas in something. It doesn't feel like you're being scolded. It doesn't feel like you're being talked down to. And I think like you had said, like sometimes I'll put these out ideas out there on Twitter and like, I'll get scolded for it or it feels like, well, why do you hate men? Which I obviously know you Mm -hmm. don't do. I think the opposite can be true sometimes is that we live in a time where we're demanding like moral purity from people and ethical purity Mm -hmm. from people where if you deviate from an idea at all if you deviate from this if you're like well i have a little bit of a different take on it although i agree with most of what you're saying here's where we diverge it's like well you obviously aren't an ally you don't agree with me at all um what is wrong with you like you're hate to say canceled because i don't think cancel culture is a thing i think that there's consequence the consequences of your actions but i can't think of a better way to put it right now like you're cast aside essentially Mm -hmm. for not and i think that's where a lot of progressive ideas get tossed out of the center because it feels like well if i don't 100 percent agree with you i guess i don't agree with anything you're saying at that point which kind of sucks um yeah i found that like this is a we also can expect more of kids than we do. I think that mm-hmm. like Absolutely. kids will surprise you with how much they're able to take in and how much they're able to understand. And I think one of the real joys of being a parent is when you see your kids start to wrestle with some of these really big ideas in your age. But that's kind of like one of the more enjoyable parts of parenting is like talking about it with them and getting these mm-hmm. ideas with them. The last thing I had yeah. about Barbie was, and I really like this in your piece, you talk about how at the end of the day, neither Ken nor Barbie do and should define themselves by their relationship to each other. That it's about mm-hmm. finding yourself as an individual and not necessarily, like we all play roles, like I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a yeah. counselor, I'm, I, I'm a, a son and a brother. But though I'm not just those things and what they mean to me might be different from how another person is going to interpret it. Um, how do you think this movie did with kind of balancing the real need that we do have for companionship and friendship 
without saying, well, you define yourself by your relationship with another person. Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was watching the movie and I was like, when Barbie apologizes and she says it didn't always have to be girls Mm -hmm. night. There was a part of me that was like, yeah, Barbie, if you had just shown him that you love him more, you know, that was my Mm -hmm. reaction. And I think that's because of what I've grown up in, you know, I mean, Southern trab wife culture is Mm -hmm. huge down here. Um, And I think I really had to stop myself and think, no, she doesn't owe him anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and I love that they don't end up together and that she is allowed to say, I don't love him. She doesn't have to give a reason. And that doesn't mean anything bad about Ken. It's just that they are not in love with each other or Ken. And I mean, I don't know if Ken actually stopped to think about it. I don't know if he's in love with Barbie. He's just been taught that that's what gives him meaning Mm -hmm. is this relationship. And I think that that is what we, we raise our kids to believe is that, you know, like we buy our babies, these onesies that say like future heartbreaker or like, you know, and we're already conditioning them to be in these Mm -hmm. heteronormative relationships where there are very clearly defined roles and not that there's anything wrong with those roles. The problem is when kids grow up to see, to believe that that's the only thing that's going to make them happy, that the only thing that's going to make them a man is finding a hot wife. And, um, and having kids or spreading their seed and dominate, you know, and that's, it's just so limiting. And I think, you know, maybe Ken and Barbie would get together down the road once Ken has a little bit more of an understanding of who he is. But I love that the movie kind of releases that pressure on them because they've always like he, he was made to be a partner for her. And I think a lot of girls grow up trying to figure out the best way to be a girlfriend that men will want. And men do that too we just don't say it so Mm -hmm. bluntly you know and that there's a lot of pressure there you know and i think when you can release yourself from that pressure and figure out who you actually are then lots of times you'll find somebody who like likes the you that you Mm -hmm. like you know yeah and the one thing you said like well he she doesn't really owe him anything and i agree with most of that she doesn't certainly doesn't owe it to ken to like be his girlfriend like she doesn't owe him yeah. that at all i would say the only thing that she owes him would be like being honest with him and saying like mm-hmm. it does feel like and maybe she doesn't realize she's doing this but she's stringing him along and i yeah. think that's really important at the end where she says well i, I don't love you and that mm-hmm. allows ken to be free to figure out okay well i am someone that is like worthy of love and if this person doesn't love me then i need to find someone that will for who i am um right and also the i would say that like not every night does need to be girls night and what i mean by that in a friendship if you're a friend you take into consideration well what does the other person want that you're Mm -hmm. not really a friend with somebody if they get to pick the activity every time you're not a friend to somebody if you come home and you vent for hours but don't ever ask how is their day going like that's not being Mm -hmm. a friend a friend is sometimes considering hey how are my actions affecting this other person and how are they doing and am i checking in checking in on them at the same time you don't owe it to anybody too because they have you don't owe anybody your friendship like you have the right to say nope like i actually 
don't want to spend time with you. And that's okay as well, as long as you can, you know, do it in a way that doesn't rip somebody to shreds. Right. And I think that the Barbie land that we see at the end where, you know, I just want to believe that it's a utopia where everybody kind of just feels this freedom to like be weird or to be what they want to be that it's a lot easier to hear that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, like, no, I don't think you're the right friend for me. And if you already feel like, okay, well, I'm going to go, I've got my horses. I'm going to be okay. Cause I've got my horses. And I know that that's something that I really care about. It makes it a lot easier to hear. I don't want to be your friend. And tonight is girls night and it's always going to be girls night. And I'm sorry, you know, but when you don't have anything in your entire existence is based on, being friends being alan Mm -hmm. being friends with ken you know then when you hear that no you feel like you don't have any which is where we see ken at the beginning you know and i mean his his sweater what it's not even a sweater it's like a college weed hoodie is what i think i would call it It says i am ken off like it's so dumb but i love Mm -hmm. it like that's the point is we want to and i mean this is still something I'm trying to figure out how to do is to figure out or realize that like you're enough on your own as you are. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. That's what I love about her not having an ending. Like this is not the end of her story because the end of everybody's story is just death, yeah. you know, and the next day might be something completely different, but would have been you can figure out very harsh if the movie ended like 50 years of the future and <laughs> Margot Robbie in like old age m- makeup. And she just, dies that she would have been a kid. yeah <laughs> she falls over on the astroturf but it's not just out of sadness mm-hmm. it's that she died you know yeah oh, it's such a good movie well let's talk about our other movie any last thoughts on barbie though before we move on i think we could do more like a scene by scene but we're not going to do that today again we'll oh, be yeah. here all I mean, a billion years or a billion thoughts about it. I, I I think the last thing I want to say is I have said I want my daughter to watch this movie, but I also want my son to mm-hmm. watch it, you know, and I want him to live in a world where girls can be anything yeah. they want, but boys can be anything they want to. Yeah. And that's what the goal of feminism is, yeah. you know? Yeah. You had said how Ken saying like, it's really hard to be in charge all the time. And sometimes I don't want to be. I've had Mm -hmm. this conversation similar with many men who feel disconnected from others and feel disconnected. And there is a real problem that as men get older, it does become harder to make friends and to make Mm -hmm. connections with other men because other, you know, outside of work and family, it can become much harder to form those bonds with other guys like that's been a real thing that's been studied and talked about and not to say like oh boohoo men yeah but i've had this conversation with a lot of men about how they feel like they can't express when something scares them whether it's like Mm -hmm. a financial situation or a family situation or just something on an existential level that frightens them because they Mm -hmm. feel like it's their role and their responsibility to always be strong and never be vulnerable. And the problem Mm -hmm. with that is they wind up alienating themselves from the persons that they mean to protect because really we can't be authentic and we can't be honest with the people we care about the most if we always feel we have to put up a facade and we have to put up some sort of mask that 
hides how we really feel in any given situation. Yep, and that's how the patriarchy hurts mm-hmm. men too. Yeah. You know, and I say I've I used to say on psychoanalysis all the time, like I wonder how different my life would be if a key couple of men had gone to therapy mm-hmm. at some point in their life. You know, and and I, I'll say like Corey and I before we moved, um, we lived in a really isolated community, and we just didn't really interact with friends that much. And since we've moved out here, we've met a lot more. He's met a lot more friends his own age who have kids his own age and we as a couple are a lot better off mm-hmm. because of that too not to mention that he's just happier and so yeah. it but it can be really hard you know yeah just like yeah. i had this conversation with someone like how do i meet people like that's what they ask like how do we just go out because it does feel like i mean i feel like i know a lot of people um mm-hmm. i'm pretty social by nature but I also know that, like, I mean, I, we were talking off air, like I was just out at a film fest and there were a lot of people there that, you know, I know from online that were out there mm-hmm. and I would approach them and like introduce myself and start talking to them. But I felt like this disconnect, it was almost like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to interact in this setting. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. kind of brought back that like, being in high school and not knowing what table to sit at type of feeling. Mm. And I'm like, man, I'm too mm-hmm. old to worry about this shit. Yeah. You know? Um, all right. Let's move on. Let's talk about our second movie, which is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Ooh. And I got to ask, I know a lot of people dressed up for Barbie. They were wearing pink. They were in <laughs> outfits. I was heartened to see, so many young girls dressed up in pork pie hats with candy cigarettes coming out of their mouth. Really <laughs> thought that That's was... That's what I wore. Yeah, you know? absolutely. What were your initial thoughts coming out of Oppenheimer? I I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a Christopher Nolan fan for the most part. Um, and I love Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. Like old school crush for me ever since 28 Days Later. Um, so I was going to really like this movie and I really like historical biopics, you know, or biopics, um, if that's what we would call this. I like, um, this kind of movie. I like this time period of history. I like everybody in the movie. Oh, fucking Josh Hartnett is in this movie and so hot. And I didn't know he was going to be in this Mm -hmm. movie. So that was such a pleasant surprise. And I was like, Josh Hartnett. Oh my god! And then I just swooned, and my heart grew three sizes. Um, it took me a little bit of time to adjust to the pace and the black and white and the going back and forth, and I had to kind of just sit with it and let it kind of sink in. Um, but I loved it, and I think it it looked great, sounded great, felt great. Performances were fantastic. Um, and I think I didn't go into it with any kind of expectations except that Killian Murphy was going to be mm-hmm. hot. And so I, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. What, what about you? This is my favorite movie of the year so far. Really? I've gone in for a second round. I'll probably go for a third. Um, it has sent me down like a historical rabbit hole because <laughs> this is a period in history that I find like very fascinating myself. And I have found like I went out and just, 
immediately bought like American Prometheus and devoured that in about a week. Uh, and then Cause that's what this is based it on, is, right? It's based on the essentially. Yes. It's, and the authors of that have said like, it's a, as faithful a script to what they could imagine. Like they think it's one of the most faithful adaptations they could have seen. And it is like, if you read the book, the only difference I would say between the book and the movie is like some of the things in the movie don't happen like that scene between Oppenheimer and Einstein at the pond at the Institute doesn't Uh. happen, but they have other interactions. Like they were contemporaries Mm -hmm. and, and a couple characters, I think, are, are so they take liberties in that way. But for the most part, it's very faithful, except the book is very linear. And what you mm. said here is like one of the fascinating things about this movie is the way that it's structured and that it bounces along all of these different timelines and unfurls mm-hmm. in that way. And you're not quite sure what's the end game here Mm -hmm. because the end game of the movie like you think it would end with like the bomb going off and then like all right everybody go home but no like the have the trinity test and then there's an hour left in the movie that is this procedural and it becomes a Mm -hmm. almost a different movie in the way that structure and the tone and what you're getting out of it and what i couldn't help but think of is at the beginning of this movie you see cillian murphy killian murphy lying in bed and he can tell that he's troubled as he's and you see what's going on in his brain and it's these ripples it's these droplets that come down and then just expand outward and as this movie goes on you see these small events that occur that have massive ripples and repercussions later on like a conversation Really what brought Oppenheimer down is a conversation he had in a kitchen with a friend that he didn't really think much of until he lied about it later on. Mm -hmm. And that was like the key piece of evidence that brought J. Robert Oppenheimer down and had his security clearance removed by the AUC. And it was just a conversation in a kitchen between two friends. Yeah. Now, and you know, obviously know a lot more about this than I do, but do you think that if it had not been that, if he had not lied about that conversation, it would have been something else? So I think one of the things you see in this, in I love getting this version of uh, Robert Downey Jr. back. Me too, uh, it's yeah. It's his Oscar to lose at this point, I would say. Mm. He's kind of channeling like evil Tony Stark and I hate to I hate to reduce him to that because like before he played Iron Man he was like such a tremendous actor and it's just nice to see him in a role like this again. Um, mm-hmm. The animosity between Strauss and Oppenheimer is very real, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you've learned about Oppenheimer is he had, and it's why he was so good at running. Los Alamos he had this ability to be very gracious to people that were under underneath him that if he could he could recognize your talent as a physicist or as a chemist or a mathematician and he could be very he's like well you're very good but not quite as good as I am and he could be very gracious to those people 
but persons that he didn't feel were like that or either that felt he were kind of like really beneath them he could be very mm-hmm. contemptuous towards and mm-hmm. the film does it shows these events it shows the congressional hearing where oppenheimer kind of rips strauss strauss's argument to shreds about like mm-hmm. sending out the isotopes and then when he snubs his children when he snubs like i want to introduce you to my son and his future wife and he just mm-hmm. kind of like waves them off like all of these things made strauss want to bring him down and the book mm-hmm. lays out the case very very clearly but it doesn't spend a lot of time on Strauss's comeuppance. It just spends maybe one page saying eventually in a congressional hearing, all of this came out and it ruined his political career where it's the last whole last act of the movie here is all of that intrigue. So it's really fascinating to watch that play out. Yeah. And I had no idea about any of that. I didn't know very much about it. It's very accurate. It's it's is it very really? accurate. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I'll, this is like I'm going to put this in. It's like when I talk about Chernobyl because yeah. I fucking love that. I still need to watch that. Um, oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> um, I'll put in the show notes. I'll put like a little bibliography in because of all the stuff that I've like watching and reading right. these past <laughs> right. few weeks, yeah. kind of diving into right, like it. A, um, an essay, a book report, yeah. We talked before about this idea of like not being good at something and not wanting to talk about it and this idea that like mm, I kind of want to hide my talents in some way or mm-hmm. I don't want to acknowledge what I'm good at because it feels like I'm being like a braggart at that point and nobody wants to hear a braggart. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite of that. Like what you're seeing here is this massive amount of hubris on the part of Oppenheimer and these other scientists in that once they figure out like, oh, we can split the atom, like we can bombard the uh, we can bombard these electrons and get or these nuclei and get them to split and then cause this reaction. They immediately think like, oh, we can make a bomb out of this. They mm-hmm. show a little bit of it, but there it, it seems like once that train gets rolling, there's no stopping it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I started thinking about pairing these two movies because this this movie to me, Oppenheimer, feels like such an exploration of masculinity. What is masculinity? It's the quest to be the biggest, the strongest, the boldest. Um, and that is what this movie is about. And once they say, yeah, we can do this. We can make a bomb. Mm. It's there's there's no yeah. deviating from that, even when he knows he probably shouldn't mm-hmm. or that there are other things he should be considering. And I don't know if I'm going to say they should not have created the bomb because I do agree somebody was going mm-hmm. to, you know, but that's that's a patriarchal culture that we have all been born yeah. into is this idea that if I don't do it, somebody else mm-hmm. is going to beat me to it and I've got to be first, you know, and um and I think it's it's such a male movie and it's such a like this is a world where I think men feel very comfortable talking about what they're good at and being OK mm-hmm. with that, because I think that is part of male culture is that you've got it. You fake it until you make it. And that's what I think they were doing with this project in a lot of ways, too, is like. Just we've got to get there first. And I think when that is only the only thing you're focused on, you lose sight yeah. of 
like the snake under the rock. You know, yeah. I loved that metaphor. You know, the defense I can see in it is when they say like the Nazis are definitely working on this project and they have some of the greatest scientific minds in the world working on this right now. We have to get there before they do. Because I don't doubt for a second that if like Hitler developed the atomic bomb before America did, that they would have used it. I don't think for a second they would have hesitated to bomb like Great Britain back into the Stone Age with every atomic mm-hmm. bomb they could find. I, I don't doubt that for even a second. Um, and I don't doubt that he would have bombed like Russia back to the Stone Age yeah, if they could I have agree. developed it. What's fascinating here is once they realize, A, that like Germany is like on the wrong track and then by the time the bomb is developed by the time they know like, okay, we are actually going to be able to make this thing. Germany is all but surrendered. Like they just know that it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when that they Mm -hmm. still continue to make it. And Oppenheimer's argument is we're just the scientists. Like this is really no different from making like other rockets or missiles. Like it just is a much bigger version of it. And I think the idea of like Prometheus comes in here, that stealing fire from the gods and then being punished for it is like he became, and I think Nolan does an an admirable job of depicting this quality of him. When you're a theor, when you're, when you, when you travel in theory, this idea of like, well, something is possible. Let's travel down this road. I think you often leave the practical concerns out. You don't take mm-hmm. the time to think, well, what would this actually mean if we can create it? And I think the the hubris here is like, well, I'll leave that to someone else to figure out. I just want to be able to make it. Um, mm-hmm. How much do you think the film explore? Where do you think that Nolan... And Oppenheimer comes down on Oppenheimer the man. Do you think that it's a celebration of him? Do you think that it's an apologist? That the movie comes down as a sort of apology for him? Or do you think there's some condemnation there? I think yes, yes, and yes. Mm -hmm. I think all. And I think that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed the movie as much as I did. And kind of what we were saying about Barbie is that like it doesn't have to be only one thing. And yes, Oppenheimer, what he had a lot of great qualities. He did a lot of incredible things. He did change the world. Um, and, you know, what's the argument? Like dropping the bomb allowed us to bring troops home. Like there are people whose lives he probably saved. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the opposite can also be true. And I think that Nolan does a really great job of showing how conflicted this character can be and that all of those things can be true and that you can celebrate someone and also show that they are responsible for thousands of deaths, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we don't just have to say one thing about somebody and we don't have to be one thing. And just because history will remember him as one thing doesn't mean we have to keep saying that, yeah. you know? Yeah, I saw these arguments when the movie came out that it shouldn't even, he shouldn't even be, it shouldn't even be considered. It should not have been made or that the movie doesn't show the victims of the bomb, that it doesn't yeah. spend any time in Japan 
or it doesn't show some of the um, ranchers that lived out near Los at uh, Alamos that were like basically had eminent domain, like the government used eminent domain to take over their land and create this research facility that those stories weren't even considered. And I hate arguments like that um, because I don't like to talk about like what a movie isn't or what the student, to be honest, it wasn't the point of the movie. And I, I also feel like there are arguments that are made in bad faith that if mm-hmm. Nolan had shown the bomb being dropped over Japan and you were to depict the, uh, very real victims that the, the argument would then from the certain persons have become, Oh, now you're um, glorifying the victims here or now you're just, it's misery porn. It's like showing yeah. you're kind of making a spectacle of it and you're tr- profiteering off real, real human suffering and real human loss. Um, yeah. W- we talked about this with, with Barbie a little bit, but good art, makes me want to learn more so when Mm -hmm. someone says well i've been trying to make this movie about the ranchers that were displaced and they can't get made my first instinct to say is well you're not christopher nolan uh you're not on the same level but i also want to see you make that movie i would watch that movie i would read that book um same i will i want if i want to see the suffering of the Japanese and how they came out of it, then I will watch Black Rain. I will watch mm-hmm. um, Hiroshima. I will I will watch those Japanese movies that show them wrestling with the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I want to watch it and hear it from their perspective. Hell, I'll watch Gojira, uh, which I think is one of the you know, it's a movie about a giant lizard creature that breeds fire and destroys Tokyo. But it's I one of the most, <laughs> it's such a moving portrayal of a country that's like wrestling with the aftermath of atomic war. And it's, there's, it's terrifying at times in terms of how it shows the victims from that movie. So I just, it'll make me want to go out and, and seek out those things. Mm-hmm. I think that, the movie, I think, p- p- paints a much more compl- complicated picture of Oppenheimer than the book American Prometheus does, which I feel celebrates really? him a lot more and I think honestly brushes aside a lot of the – and kind of waves aside a lot of critique of him. Um, mm. The scene, one of the most – terrifying and anxiety inducing scenes of any movie I've seen this year is after the bomb is dropped. I think what's fascinating is one, when he gets the call, the first sound that you hear is like a baby crying off in the distance. It's the first thing you hear is just a baby wailing. And and that to me is fascinating that that is the first sound you hear when Oppenheimer gets the call from Groves, like, Oh, we've been successful. But when you have the, seen later on in the gymnasium when everybody is stomping their feet and it sounds like a locomotive like i remember watching the trailer and thinking like that was the sound of a locomotive and that Mm -hmm. to me is a sound of something with forward momentum being inevitable that once we put Mm -hmm. these this these events into motion 
nothing you could have done, even though there were a lot of points along along the way where we could have made a different decision. Maybe we drop the bomb over an island. Maybe we just share this information with our allies and cooperate with one another, how much different the world would have turned out. But it feels like that was never actually going to happen. Yeah, and I think we are just too staunchly built on a patriarchal Mm -hmm. world for that to really be a realistic option now. One thing I loved about that scene, um, because I agree with you, it was terrifying, um, was I think it really shows kind of, again, what we were talking about about Barbie is this, the dichotomy of how he is actually feeling about this and how he's supposed Mm -hmm. to feel about it, you know, because he's giving this speech and I think he's like celebrating and he's thanking everyone and they're cheering and he's like, I wish we had it for the Nazis or something like Mm -hmm. that. And that's what he's supposed to do. That's, that's victory. That is success. They've just become the biggest and the strongest, but what he's actually feeling is that, this crushing weight of fear Mm -hmm. and that like this is real to him now and i think he was just alive at a time where men were not really allowed to talk about that too much and we even see groves kind of shush him in a meeting and i know it's a little bit different there's more complicated things going on in that meeting but one thing i think that is really interesting about the second half of this is showing a man from what is it, the fifties around this point, really wrestling with this guilt mm-hmm. and fe- and these really heavy emotions and trying to tell yeah. people and then getting Truman calling him a crybaby, yep. you know, which again happened, and, which is a real, right, and I yeah. think they condense it into one scene. I don't think that it all happened in that necessarily that order, but, and mm-hmm. to a certain degree, I can understand Truman's point of view because he's not wrong when he says, they're not going to remember you as the person who dropped the bomb. They're going to remember mm-hmm. me for that. That the blood right. is really on Truman's hands. At the end of the day, they, they yeah. don't remember the person that necessarily created it. They just remember the person who made the decision to do it. And one of the things well, and- that's fascinating, I'm reading this book, it's called Five Days in August, and it's about dropping the bomb in Hiroshima and then Japan surrendering five days later. And one of the things the book talks about, and it wrestles with, it really like lays bare the myth that like, oh, um, Japan was never going to surrender. Like it actually shows a mm-hmm. timeline. Like we were, the Japan was preparing to surrender. We were just negotiating the terms, whether it would be conditional versus unconditional. The idea that like Hirohito, the emperor, like Japan wanted him to remain a figure in Japanese, the Japanese political system. And we didn't want that. And we actually Mm -hmm. he did remain in power uh, or not in power. He did remain as a figurehead, just a powerless one. This Mm -hmm. idea that the military didn't see. They didn't focus on the word atomic and atomic bomb. They focused on the idea of the word bomb. And all the atomic bomb was to them is a more efficient way to firebomb. Because we were already firebombing Tokyo. And we had killed 100,000 civilians in one night, like a mere week before dropping the bomb. The difference is the scale. Now you can do that with one bomb as opposed to hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't considered we look at it now because of what it can do 
in the aftermath, but at the time, it wasn't necessarily considered this game changer. It was just a more efficient way of of conducting war. Well, and that's what I think is so interesting about Oppenheimer, the the man, and, you know, because Truman is right. Like, they aren't going to think about mm-hmm. him when their city is getting bombed, but Truman couldn't do it without Oppenheimer creating right. that. And because Truman... And I'm using him to represent everyone in the armed forces mm-hmm. that made that decision. Groves, you know, whoever. Um, because they didn't have the understanding, because to them it was just another bomb. That's yeah. why I think the responsibility does fall on people like Oppenheimer who mm-hmm. have the ability and the understanding to do that and to know that you can't put the snake back in the bottle. Nope. And again, I'm not saying he should not have created the bomb. I'm not saying that at all, because I agree with you about the Nazis. They would have done it. But just this idea that we could use a weapon of mass destruction to achieve peace, Mm -hmm. I think, is just such a a fallacy, you know? And I think that's what a lot of the movie shows, is that that is the lie that you tell yourself to keep going, you know? And and like you said, you excuse it and you put it on the army generals, but you know that they don't really understand, you know, and that nobody does. And I I also think that he... And I think the I think Nolan does a good job of depicting how, like, to a degree, Oppenheimer saw this as his legacy. He saw this as his mm-hmm. theory of relativity moment. And the thing about Oppenheimer as a physicist, he didn't necessarily come up with new ideas of his own. Like he wasn't like he didn't come up with these new. We talk about and the relationship with him and Einstein is fascinating, but it wasn't that Oppenheimer came up with these new ideas. What he was really good at is taking these really complicated. He didn't like that idea. He wasn't great at math either. Like his cal, he didn't have the patience for these calculations, but he would take all of these very complicated ideas and be able to distill them very quickly and then see practical applications for them. And that was his genius, mm-hmm. where he saw this as his legacy. And he was a very powerful voice in the room amongst the scientists. And if he were to, can, if he were to say, we should not drop this bomb or we should use it in a demonstration rather than, because the problem isn't that we drop the atomic bomb. The problem is we drop the atomic bomb in civilians. The problem is we, at the push of a button with one bomb, killed 200,000 Japanese men, women, and children that had nothing to do with the war, that weren't our enemy, that weren't trying to kill us. And that is the problem, that if we were to drop it, that we should have dropped it in a place where it could not have harmed a person. Like you could have dropped mm-hmm. it on an island or somewhere and, and sh- done a demonstration. But he was so consumed with this idea of this being his legacy, this being what he was going to be known for, that he pushed all other considerations aside. And then once the gravity of what he actually did hit him, then he later on became this proponent for sharing this information with other nations like not being like not having nuclear secrets or atomic secrets but Mm -hmm. in his idea was like let's create what the united nations should have been but let's create like an intergovernmental agency that governs how atomic energy is going to be used and he was very against Mm -hmm. you know i think you have safety who plays edward teller here 
Uh, and Teller is the inspiration for Dr. Strangelove. That's why I found when he oh. put on the sunglasses, I immediately thought of like Kubrick and Strangelove. Mm-hmm. And if you watch The Day After Trinity, which is a documentary that came out, I think, in 1981, and it mm-hmm. talks with a lot of Oppenheimer's colleagues and it talks with Frank Oppenheimer. When they talk about dropping the bomb, they can't look in the camera. Like none of them can look in the camera. Um, They're just, and then you see them like kind of like wiping their brow. Like they're really wrestling with like, what did we do here? But you can't, Mm. like you said, put that genie back in the bottom. Um, The other, his weakness, his real weakness was not, because he was considered such a genius by so many, he thought he would always have a place at the table. And I think one of the mm. core themes of Oppenheimer is you're useful until you're not. And the yeah. turning mm-hmm. point of this movie, like when after the, the bomb, after the after the Trinity test, he thinks he's still going to be, if not pulling the level of power, he's going to have a hand on that lever, level, lever of power. And he doesn't yeah. even get a call. He hears about the bomb working when everybody else does. And I think it hits him Mm -hmm. and he's been told this by, he's been told this, like you, you're going to, at some point they're going to have no use for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The scene where they're taking, he's watching it go away on the wagons or the carts Mm -hmm. is very, you know, and I think about the scene of it at the top of the Trinity tower and he's just kind of almost putting his forehead to it. And it's, it's this, it's like, birthing something and then you just lose control of it and I think you know the line from Hamilton like you have no control who Mm -hmm. tells your story you know it's like things come out of your hands and with Barbie we were talking about a lot of men um, don't want to let go of power but I think a lot of men don't understand they can't see that they ever won't have Mm -hmm. power you know and they just can't understand it and yeah, I think that's it's really interesting to see him kind of reckon with that and being powerless and seeing his wife like telling him to fight and and I really love the idea that he is kind of like trying to punish himself with this mm-hmm. this trial, you know. I thought I don't know how accurate that is or how he was actually feeling about it, but I like that the idea of that, you know. It's very it's Is yeah it? it's in up to and including her uh um kitty oppenheimer's kind of combating com- her her repartee with the uh district attorney uh it's mm-hmm. pretty much i think everything from there is taken straight from the transcripts and there's also a really? there's a pbs like docudrama the trials of J. Robert Oppenheimer and Peter Strahane plays Oppenheimer. And he has a little, he's played Oppenheimer twice apparently. And they throw mm-hmm. him in this movie as well. So we can say he's been in three things with, <laughs> um, but a lot of it is taken. Like the transcripts are public. Like you can actually read them and go really? through all of them. And they're kind of like, that's a fascinating read. Yeah. I like that. This idea that it's his hair shirt, that he's punishing mm-hmm. himself. And again, you see that moment, when he's getting cross-examined and asking like, when did your morals actual come up? And you can see that's a question that he was wrestling with. Like, where did he start to develop scruples? And I don't think it had anything to do with 
whether or not like the Russians had it or the Japanese, or whether or not they were just, he's like, no, like once you see the weapon use and once you understand the power of what you built and then he did fight and really what was the nail in his coffin was like fighting so hard to not make the hydrogen bomb, which Teller pushed for because he's like, what's mm-hmm. the point? Like we have enough of these atomic bombs to blow or like at what point is like too is it too much is it too big like how many people do you need to kill um yeah there's like a, a news clip you can find to him where he's he's asked like do we have the ability to kill like 40 million people in a couple of minutes he's like i hate to say it but yes we do like we could kill half the country in just a couple of minutes with our capabilities now and that's when he's yeah. discarded like once he puts mm-hmm. his foot down and says, I'm not going to sign off on building the super bomb. I'm not going to go back to Los Alamos to help develop it. I'm going to resign my post. And I'm also going to actively go on the campaign trail against building this bomb. That's when mm-hmm. he's discarded by those in power. They don't have a use for him anymore. Like, well, if you're not going to help us build this, then... We don't need you. And then given the climate of anti-communism and the Red Scare at the time that like his past associations were going to come back like they did so many come back. And he thought he was shielded by his prestige and by because it's not untrue. He was the most famous person in the world and he was considered a national hero. And he thought that was going to shield him and eventually uh, it only could for so long, and he just did not recognize that. And I think that's what's yeah. really fascinating here. Um, it's like you're in the gears for so long, mm-hmm. and then you get yeah. ground up in them. Yeah, you know, and it's because the gears don't care about you. The machine cares yeah. about being the biggest. It yeah. doesn't care about the individual cogs. You did know? your theater get an uncomfortable laugh when I think it's Chris Columbus? He is picking the sights where the bomb will be dropped. And he's like, oh yeah, we're not going to drop it here. My wife and I happened to honeymoon there. We got such I did an, not get a we laugh got an there. Un, the most uncomfortable laughter. Oh, wow. I, that was, that line chilled yeah. me. That was one of the most chilling lines, I think in the movie for mm-hmm. me. Um, we didn't get a laugh. So an uncomfortable. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that does strike me as the kind of thing that you would laugh it, at, Mike, because I know you you like to laugh. It wasn't just me. Tension. Well, I am the person that like I will buy this on Blu-ray the minute it comes out, and we mm-hmm. watch a movie every New Year's Eve. We order Thai food or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I need to know when to cue the movie up so that at midnight you have the Trinity explosion. That's how we're gonna. Oh my god! Yeah, and that which is grim is so good. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's so, it's just incredible. And that's one of the reasons I love Christopher Nolan movies. And one of the reasons I wanted to see this in theaters, Mm -hmm. you know, is because I wanted to experience it. And it did not disappoint. No, it it did not. That, it's such, and I think one of the things this movie does is that at the beginning, if there are parts of the movie, it kind of shows how these scientific experiments work without getting too jargony. Like you get this, these, the, the, visualization on screen of like the vision and these procedures occurring. And I think it helps Mm -hmm. as an audience member later on, we're used to seeing like a bomb goes off in a movie and the audio immediately accompanies it, but that's not how this works. 
you know, mm-hmm. the reality is like this bomb would go off and sound would be like a good 20, 30 seconds behind it. You get mm-hmm. that here. And that's when you get the real impact of it. And it's, it's chilling when you watch it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things when you, it really, it kind of hits like we have, we've created this thing that can kill us many times over and it's going to be celebrated. It's like this great achievement. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a, a book on Dwight Eisenhower right now. And very early in his presidency, he gave a speech. This is a, a military man. He was like, won the presidency based on how he conducted himself in war. And he said, for every bomb we create, this is like 50,000 barrels of wheat that we can't create. For every new plane bomber we make, these are like 10 schools that we'll never get to make. He's like, we need to not focus so much on building these weapons of mass destruction because it's not just about what we're building it's what we're also not building we're not Mm -hmm. we're not creating opportunity for others and this was someone who was a military person that recognized like we can't sustain this like when you look at what in our military budget has only gotten more unwieldy over time and we always have money for bombs. We always have money for tanks. But we never seem to have money. But school lunches is what gets cut. Like, that's considered extravagant. Mm-hmm. Sending children right. to school but saying we don't need to feed you. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, patriarchy is a zero-sum game. Yeah. That is that is the, the foundation mm-hmm. of it. And that there is not enough to go around. Yeah. And that we have to take mm-hmm. and take and take. And... Yeah. It doesn't have to be that yeah. way, you know, and it takes a big paradigm mm-hmm. shift to see a world where we make barrels mm-hmm. of wheat instead of bombs mm-hmm. or we focus our scientific energy on climate change instead of um, ammunition, mm-hmm. you know, but we're capable it, of it making takes... great things that we focus on the terrible. Exactly. Yeah. What do we just unfreeze a worm? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure. Hey, and you know what? I don't know. I love Ex Machina. And one of the points of that is like discovery is discovery. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that you find it in the dark and it leads you yeah. where it's supposed to go. But also like, what are we spending our resources and our energy yeah. on? You know, because as much as I just said, there is enough to go around. There's only enough to go around if we choose to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, I found too with this movie with Oppenheimer, the scenes with him and Einstein were fascinating because yes. Einstein says, look, mm-hmm. you at one point, gave me this award and it's true like they had a 70th birthday party for einstein and they wrote a series of articles to quote unquote celebrate him but they really mm-hmm. were celebrating themselves and how they've moved on yeah. from him and he's like eventually this is going to happen to you like science will move on from you as well and you'll be left in the dark and i think one of the things you see here is like him kind of grappling with like once he's created this bomb and really he doesn't create it so much as he's the administrator he doesn't actually Mm -hmm. figure out or unlock the science behind making it he's able to cajole and whip into shape and administer everybody else like physics had left him behind by the time Mm -hmm. he creates this thing and now what do you do like this is the thing you've spent your whole life on now what do you mm-hmm. do after this? And like now he's the person that's being left behind and now it's like Teller 
and these other physicists that are making these new discoveries and he's become the Einstein. He's become that person like you are our past. We are looking towards the future. Yeah. And that's why I think, and again, I don't think I know enough about Oppenheimer himself to make this a comment about him specifically, Mm -hmm. but I think the invention is just as important as teaching the next generation to think the way you think Mm -hmm. you believe, you know, like the, the theory behind the invention and the ethics that go with it are just as important to pass along as the formula, you know, it is a morality tale. It's very much that. Yeah. 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 We haven't talked about women that much. We talk about this. (laughs) Well, you know, and that is my, you know, if there is a flaw in this movie, For all of his strengths as a writer and director, it feels like Nolan still struggles 20 years in to write women. And one thing, like, I'm not a prude. Like, people who know me, like, and Jen, I know you're not a prude either. Um, (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Like, you know, if you could have swapped out Josh Hartnett and naked Killian Murphy, (laughs) it's... I don't think a woman speaks for the first 30 minutes of this movie. Like I it literally like 20 minutes and I'm like, I don't think a woman has talked yet. And then you introduce Florence Pugh as uh, Jean. uh, I can't remember her name now. Jean Triple Trip. It's it's Jean in Tochner. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce it. Yeah, it's something with a T. She's a commie. Um, But she so (laughs) she's a filthy red (laughs) you introduce her briefly and then she next thing she's naked like immediately and that's a choice that's a very deliberate choice definitely she has maybe four scenes in the whole movie and she's naked for two of them Mm -hmm. and i i i get that this is a very masculine movie and it's about oppenheimer and it's about creating this thing but I think that it struggles to contend. And maybe, it, 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 maybe in some ways it's brilliant because it's in a way that saying that he didn't have time for these interpersonal. He has a whole affair that you never see. He has a whole. Oh, really? He has a, with it's the Josh Hartnett character. The reason he was going to testify against him um, oh, when it, they mention it, yeah, it but it's okay. a casual kind of blank. If you miss it, mention it. it's a huge. Mm-hmm. You know, he just like saw women as disposable, saw women as, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't have time to consider your feelings because I have these great things to accomplish. But why does Nolan struggle so much to write strong women in his movies? I don't know. I and I think a lot of his movies are focused on masculinity mm-hmm. And part of me likes removing women from that equation. Mm -hmm. Like I like that we are kind of letting the men kind of thrash it out amongst themselves or beat each other off, if you will. Um, But I also, I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about the women in this movie, the two of them. Mm Essentially, well, three, because there is a female scientist at Los Alamos, which I did appreciate. But and the one thing that I will give him credit for is I like that these two women both buck traditional femininity, Mm -hmm. you know, like his girlfriend does not want flowers. She doesn't feel comfortable with this relationship. She wants something non-conform she's allowed to have complex thoughts Mm -hmm. about their romance she doesn't just want a ring you know and then his wife 
struggles with motherhood. And I appreciate seeing that. I appreciate seeing women of this time period struggling with the really yeah. rigid ideas of what femininity is. But I also like, and there's part of me that's like, yeah, Florence P wants to show her boobs letter. Mm -hmm. That's great. Go for it. Um, I don't think there's really anything wrong with it. It's just it. When you put all of these puzzle pieces yeah. together and you see this movie that is about so many men and then you just throw some boobs in my face. I'm like, why, yeah. why are we it's filming so, it this it's, way, I think the you know? cut to it is so jarring that you've just introduced yeah. her. You've gone like really the almost like the almost the whole first act without having any women speak. And then like right after you introduce someone um, – you and you see Oppenheimer like dismiss his brother's fiance, which is a real thing. Like she thought mm -hmm. she hated him. She was like, Yeah, he was really? such a dick to me his, his whole <laughs> life. Can, that's lifted right from it. It's very accurate. Um, really? I think that at times it goes too far in having Emily Blunt as is is kitty it kind of makes her the villain in some ways like the like yeah you know like you're right it does show her struggling with motherhood but it shows him being almost like gentle and paternal um mm -hmm. whereas like it's in it's not quite that simple and it's not quite that easy and i think mm -hmm. they had a very loving good relationship it was very a complicated relationship but i think like you see the the shorthand for alcoholism here where like her purse spills open and a flask falls out and everybody eyes mm -hmm. at her disapprovingly. Uh, it does. It takes too many shortcuts with that. I think sometimes I agree with both of the female characters, yeah. I think in a way that the men don't have those mm -hmm. shortcuts, you know, I mean, there is another form of shortcut, which is something that I kind of want to talk about. But um, the thing that I think that, bothered me the most was the scene in the courtroom where they're talking about the affair mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you see Florence Pugh on top of him and she is the only one naked and I think I was like what are we doing mm -hmm. one we're pitting these two women against each other of course because they're the only two women in the film mm -hmm. so of course they're gonna but I also kind of like that the that Strauss is just as petty yeah. you know so I don't know it's not my favorite portrayal of women in any movie. I don't think it's the worst, but yeah, it's just. Mm -hmm. I, I think that know. Pew and Blunt make the most of, because they are two of our finer performers right now. Yes, they and are. And they make the most of like some badly underwritten roles that they do yeah. everything they possibly could do because we mentioned this before like it's a huge it's a who's who of you get uh -huh. people that kind of like you get jack quaid show up just to play the bongos a little bit you right get benny yes. safty is teller you get josh and i texted you like uh you got to prepare yourself you josh hartnett's looking good and like he figured Ooh. out the whole hair thing i told you he is hot he got buff. He got like somehow yes, ripped. Um, got some highlights. You have like Matt Damon feels a little bit. Uh, his role feels a little bit too like let's get almost too jolly. Like let's get the gang together. <laughs> but yeah. he's also really good. But there's so many like people that mm -hmm. just show up 
for like a scene mm-hmm. or two and they're brilliant and then they kind of move yeah. on from there. It's, it's fascinating to watch that. And I think the other thing is like the pacing of this movie, the editing, like you mentioned that there's a circle all the way back. It's jarring. It feels very mm-hmm. hard to keep up with at times. Like it asks a lot mm-hmm. of you. And, you know, my I want my daughter to see this. She's like, ah, oh, it's just three hours of like men in a room talking. And I'm like, you're right. It is, but it's so fucking good. Like it's right. sometimes yeah. those are the best movies. Um, mm-hmm. What was the second thing you wanted to bring up? You mentioned a flaw or something that kind of didn't sit well. Oh, no, it wasn't necessarily a flaw, but I was thinking about just the clothing, you know, and when you were mentioned, because I was thinking, well, we've got Florence Pugh mm-hmm. as like slutty girlfriend Barbie. And then we have um, Emily Blunt as like drunky housewife Barbie. Mm-hmm. So they're very yeah. like characters of yeah. these kind of t- women mm-hmm. archetypes, you know, and they are more complicated than yeah. like college girlfriend versus yeah. like homemaker, you know, so it is more complicated, but they still don't feel totally human. But the other thing that I think is so fascinating. I came out of it and I can't remember if I tweeted or I texted or whatever, but I was like, it was a lot of hot men in suits because it was this, I I wanted to talk about the clothing in Mm -hmm. Oppenheimer because I think that's a really interesting comparison to Barbie where like Barbie is defined by her outfit, you know, and that's part of the fun of getting a new Barbie is what's she going to wear and what's the astronaut costume going to look like. And I think in Oppenheimer, like you see the man, the the two kinds of man outfits is the, the white button down shirt, the tie. Sometimes it's a vest, sometimes it's suspender, but it's always a suit unless it's a military uniform. And I think my point in bringing that up is that those are the only two options. You know, that's, that's what you do. And the, the one who wears a sweater, the guy who was the podcaster Mm -hmm. in Halloween, um, he's the outcast because he's the communist, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, it's so interesting to think about like that. Those are the two costumes for men. And you're either like a military man or you are a a man of knowledge. Right. And when Oppenheimer puts on a military outfit, his friend Rabbi mm-hmm. tells him, like, get that off. Like, you're not. Right. You be yourself. Like, that's not you. No, that's not who right. you are. Um, mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of older movies this past year, mm-hmm. like a lot of film noir, a lot of Hitchcock. And that's what men wore. Everybody wore suits. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to bring that back. Like, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, and I'm someone who I'm wearing, I just live in cargo shorts. And yeah. I will say, like, nice clothes burn my skin because they do. But I wish yeah. I could pull off like a good suit because I would wear it. I definitely would dress like that. Um, well, and I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wearing suits and men who wear suits. There's absolutely nothing wrong. And if you can pull off a good mm-hmm. hot suit like Josh Hartnett in a suit. Yes, yeah. please. But I think the problem comes when those are the only two acceptable sure. options. You know, I listened to a podcast where the host is um male identifying and just constantly wearing skirts because he's like they're just more comfortable or i think about like timothy chalamet showing up to premieres and like that red kind of mm-hmm. pantsuit thing you know like women that's one of the benefits i think of women or patriarchy is I can't better clothes that, but like a better clothes or just more freedom like more options mm-hmm. and i think men have more options now yeah. but back then like, I, I think the flip had... side of that, though, is when a man puts in a little bit of effort, it gets mm-hmm. over the top praised. Do you know what I mean? 
Like exactly. Well, it's like what we also always used to talk about with fatherhood. Yeah. You know, like just pushing yeah. my kid around in the park. Like, oh, you're doing. I'm like, I'm you're just such doing a great dad. What any dad should be doing. Like, yeah, the bar is yeah. pretty low. Uh, Gene Tatlock, yeah. that is who Florence Pugh was playing. Oh, so I wanted to great. say one thing I wanted to point out, like with part of the reason why it feels like those characters are given the short shrift is like Tatlock was a brilliant psychiatrist on her own. Like she's a doctoral level psychiatrist that worked at one of the first integrated hospitals in San Francisco. Like she was a woman with of great principle and she did a lot of work in child psychology with child psychiatry. So she was a brilliant woman on her own. And Kitty Oppenheimer was a doctoral level botanist. Like she was a brilliant woman on her own. Her job, and she has said like her job came to be being Oppenheimer's cheerleader in some ways and kind of pushing him towards greatness where you can maybe attribute some of her struggles with being this brilliant, brilliant person and the only outlet you have for it is like your home garden. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that is a where you know, use the patriarchy again, where the patriarchy really hurts persons. So yeah, I could go on for the, on this movie. Like I, I honestly <laughs> could do like 10 parts on it and just, and I'm, mm-hmm. we're going like really just off the cuff right now. And I'm going to put in my notes here for the show. Cause it, it's again, like we both said, like this is, it, it's the kind of movie that makes me want to dive into everybody's history. Um, yeah. I did an audio book. It's called Hiroshima. It's about Paul Hersey. He was a reporter for the New Yorker that one thing I didn't know, like I just assumed that like once the bombs went off, everybody understood how awful they were. And the mm-hmm. what I didn't realize was the army covered up their effects for a year. Ooh. They were like, oh, yeah, there's no such thing as radiation poisoning. Uh, and like things are getting back to normal in here. And that's what the Ameri- American public thought. And Hersey got permission from the army to go into Hiroshima for two weeks and he told the survivor stories. He was able to kind of put a human face to the tragedy of Hiroshima, Hiroshima. And it changed the way the American public viewed the bomb, like, and also changed the way the American public viewed the government. It was one of the first real cases of Americans going, oh, wait a minute, if you've been able to hide this from us from a year this idea that like how destructive this thing actually is and the real cost of it what else are you hiding from it it's a book mm-hmm. called Hiroshima it's uh, all about his article and I can link to his article and then there was also a rebuttal from um, Stimson who was FD it was Truman's Secretary of State He'd, who had retired since then uh, he had a role in, in choosing the targets. And he talked about why we dropped the bomb, but he never refuted the effects of it. And it was when he wrote mm. that article thinking this will defuse it, the public was like, yeah, but you still shouldn't have dropped this fucking thing. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think these two movies together, like why is Barbenheimer a thing? Why is it striking such a chord with audiences right now? Well, I think partly because I think we're all growing. Like there's 
there's a lot of like gender coding with these movies. Like it would be really easy to say this is a movie for girls. Mm -hmm. This is a movie for boys. And I love that everybody wants, seems to want to see both, you know, um, not everybody, but a lot mm -hmm. of people. And I think we're kind of just starved for original movies yeah. now. Um, you know, and I mean, we're coming from the horror world. So we know that original movies come out all the mm -hmm. time, like Cobweb, which was completely buried yeah. under these two movies for, oh my God, I I have no clue who just made that decision. Anyways, but like- It deserved better. These, Justice for did. Cobweb. It was Cobweb good. Cobweb I really yeah, Cobwebheimer. Yeah. But I, I think we're just like these were two completely mm -hmm. original movies. And I think they go together very yeah. well, you know, and strangely I think it's, well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something that has been kind of not necessarily brewing under the surface for a while. But there's a lot of like a lot of relevance to what's going on yes. right now. There's a lot of, you know, but not like on the nose mm -hmm. you know it's not like bombshell a movie like about things that happened three years yep. ago you know um and i think it just happened to just hit yeah. at the right there's a right place right time element to yeah. it too you know there's a mar merchandising element like the symmetry of the titles mm -hmm. like it makes a great couple name there's just like there's kind of a lightning and yeah. a bottle feeling that i think is part of it too you yeah. know i think that Barbie lifted Oppenheimer more than vice versa. I agree. I, I would say that that would be the case. I think why it resonates to a certain extent is for whatever reason, audiences didn't put these movies against one another. It wasn't mm -hmm. a case of like one has to fail so the other can succeed, that they both kind of leaned into it. And so, and Nolan has said that, like, oh, I didn't even know Barbie was coming out the same day. Because Barbie coming out the same day as Oppenheimer, like, and that's the weekend, the second to last weekend of July has traditionally been when Nolan has released his last few movies. It was a shot across the bow from Warner Brothers, who he left uh, after the after he had a pretty acrimonious split with them because mm. of like the of HBO re releasing all these movies on HBO the same day as theatrical. Mm. He was really against that and left. So this was a real shot across the bow at him. But mm. rather than embrace that conflict or that kind of confrontation audiences are like well why not both like what if we lift each other up and i don't think you can do that with like a lot of movies i don't think you can yeah. do that everywhere and it, it's super encouraging to me like again i've seen this twice i saw it in canada and it is interesting watching it with a non-american audience mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. um but seeing teenagers and younger people that aren't necessarily your market for a three-hour movie uh, about mm -hmm. a historical drama like that's not but leaning into it and really enjoying it and taking something away i think it should be shown in schools um, mm -hmm. i think it's an important movie um, but ultimately what movie of the two do you think is and i almost hate saying this but like ultimately what movie is more important Barbie, I yeah. think Barbie. And I think the reason I say that is not because I think Barbie is a better mm -hmm. movie. Because I don't know. 
I don't know. I, it's hard for me to really separate yeah. them. Honestly, I think of them t- as connected, but I think that there are movies that tell similar stories as Oppenheimer, maybe not as well, but there's not a whole lot out there like Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I think Barbie is something that we need to hear more of. And I want more of, if there was one that I wanted to succeed more, it was Barbie yeah. because that becomes proof that a female director can open a mm-hmm. big movie, you know, or that a female led comedy can make money. And I think, so yeah, that I think Barbie. Yeah. And I think if I think about which one is going to leave a bigger impact, impact, I think it's Barbie yep. also. Um, and again, that's not a knock against Oppenheim. No, Oppen- not at all. I think it is fantastic. Not pitting, but... I don't mean to pit one against the other. I agree yeah. for all the reasons you said. I think it's the largest, it's had the largest opening of any movie directed by a woman ever. The mm-hmm. largest second weekend. If its second weekend was its first weekend, we'd still call it a massive success. Um, it is the announcement of like Greta Gerwig onto the the, the big stage in like the biggest, mm-hmm. splashiest way possible. You know, and she is someone who, like Scorsese pointed her out when he said like, look, we need to have, like I'm 80 years old, like superhero movies aren't for me. We need spaces and theaters for directors like Greta Gerwig, like he name-checked her. Mm-hmm. That it, it is going to hopefully open, I'm very fascinated to see what studios get wrong what lessons they take away that they just completely mm-hmm. get wrong. But at the same time, hopefully it will open more doors for creatives and for more women creating yeah. movies. And, you know, I want to see what, I think the next thing Gerwig's or do, she's doing is like the Chronicles of Narnia movies for Netflix. Really? Um, but I, I wonder what will, what her next thing will be. Like she's brilliant. She's three for three. And, yeah. Have you seen House of the Devil? Uh, House of the Devil, the Ty West movie. I have. Oh, that's she right. She has She's the, the roommate, greatest right? death, like out of nowhere death. Like so, it's amazing. Like the woman who gets like shot in the face in a really explicit way has created this mm. massive movie. Um, yeah. Last thing I have is like the last line from each movie. I think they both end on brilliant. And I did see some pushback on the Barbie one. Like I'm here to see my gynecologist. That. Someone wrote like, well, you're saying women are defined by having a vagina and not all women do it. I'm like, you're overthinking it. It's like, no. Oh, yeah. Because like Barbie is plastic bits. Like that's a joke in the movie. And it's brilliant to sneak that into a kid's movie. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And I think like if I were to think about it, because I had not thought about the last mm -hmm. two lines together until I saw them in your notes. I was like, yeah, man, it's really hard to have a vagina in this country Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, and that a, that a... last line of Oppenheimer when he t- says to to Einstein talking about like whether or not they've set off a chain reaction that will destroy the world, and he says, "I believe we did," and it goes full circle back to showing what's in his brain at the start of the movie. But now you're showing the future and these nuclear missiles being launched, uh, and this the fiery explosion we see at the end of the movie and the world basically in flames and it ends on that with the music rights it is more chilling than any horror movie and there's been some good ones this year yeah um, there have been but it's yeah. it's so important 
especially in where we live now. We live in a world where, like, you know, if this movie had come out five years ago, I think that it would have been a little bit more quaint. It would have been like, uh-huh. do you remember when, like, we were going to, there's a really real possibility we're going to blow up, blow ourselves up. And yeah. that fear has returned. I hate to say it, but that fear has returned. So. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, to compare those two lines, like, and to get on my, like, I don't know, really hopeful soapbox. Is that a thing? Um, like, I think we can destroy the world as we know it. And maybe what will come out of it is a better world. And maybe I think that's what I see with the ending of mm-hmm. Barbie is that, yes, she is going to the gynecologist, which is great because now like she sees, she has seen a plastic world and now she is going to see what it's really like to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately how things change is to really get out there. Like you can't change things from the mountaintop. And I think that that can be the spark understanding how other people actually live that can destroy the patriarchy maybe i guess to put a bow on it but all right i wish her well at the gynecologist Mm -hmm. um yeah and oppenheimer's dead so not much he can do and oppenheimer's dead yeah so you know there'd be a a, the idea for the sequel to oppenheimer at the end of his life he and his wife like traveled to like the islands a lot and they had a little summer place down there. Oh yeah, I heard that. And yeah. they would get into like awful disputes with their neighbors and throw these <laughs> wild parties. Like the neighbor showed up with a gun and just started shooting it off at them because he was so oh, frustrated. Wow. So there's a great like Will Ferrell comment. Will Ferrell is up an older Oppenheimer and just being yes. a complete fucking maniac on the islands. Oh, I want to see Petty Bitch Oppenheimer. I would absolutely Petty watch that movie. Oppenheimer. So, <laughs> that would be all great. Right. So, all right, Jen. What's going on with those Losers Club and what else do you have coming <laughs> up right now? If the, we don't blow ourselves up by the time right. this episode <laughs> comes out. Um, well, lots of things coming up, lots of exciting things. Um, I finished Holly a couple of weeks ago, so we're going to have our episode on that coming up soon, which is the new Stephen King book. Oh, okay. Um, on Holly Gibney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good. I liked it. Um, and then if you like me talking about bad boys or just boys in general, we're about to count down Stephen King's 10 baddest boys. Mm-hmm which I'm very excited about. And then the next um, book episode, I believe, is just after, nope, Full Dark, No Stars. Mm -hmm. So very excited about that. And then Rachel and I just started season two of The Boys, but before that we talked about Superman. Excellent. Which apparently fucking Marlon Brando is in that Mm -hmm. movie. I had completely forgotten about that. Um, Yeah, and just writing. If you like me talking about feminism, Check out my column at Dread Central because there's a lot of um, feminism and lady stuff there. Hey, what's the name and, of that column? Yeah. Well, now it's called Fatal Femmes. I was it was Matriarchy Rising, mm-hmm. and I shifted to talking from talking about girls getting along to girls killing other girls. Oh, okay. Girls Excellent. killing people. Um, so I just wrote about the Conjuring Bathsheba and the Conjuring. Um, and it, I don't think it's out yet, but probably by the time mm-hmm. this one drops. But you can find all of that stuff at Jim Ferratu. Um, and I'll just post it all. Excellent. So. All right, listeners. If you've liked what you've heard today, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, basically every podcatcher service that there is. Uh, Taking a minute to give us a rating and writing us a review, giving us a five-star rating and writing a quick review, it definitely helps new listeners find us. It lets us know we're on the right track, and we really appreciate it. So if you haven't done so, please take a minute and do so. That would be fantastic. Follow us at our website, www.thepodandthependulum.com. That's where we have all of our back episodes listed with all of our show notes, transcripts for some of our newer episodes and such as well. It's a really well laid out site. It's very easy to find any of the franchises we've done as we near 200 episodes here. If you really like what you've heard and want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum. For as low as a couple bucks a month, you get bonus content such as full-length episodes. You get our uh, rental shelf where we talk about whatever we are watching and listening to at the time. So go ahead and become a patron today at patreon.com slash the pod and the pendulum. Here's what we have coming up. Uh, In the very near future, we are going to be doing the Saw franchise, but we have one episode in between that where I'll be breaking down my coverage of the Fantasia Film Fest, talking about a lot of the great titles that I had a chance to see out there. That episode will be out next week, and then it is 10 weeks of Saw. So I think we're getting pretty excited for that. Uh, Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed this little detour. Try to do something a little different this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with our coverage of Fantasia. Take care.